When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. It's Steve, Jimmy, and Brandon here with you. We got the full crew this week for episode 87, coming a, a day after Roma had a disappointing loss at the Artemio Franchi in Florence to Fiorentina, but probably for good reason because, guys, Roma is in a European final for the first time in 31 years. I mean, that's that's longer than Jimmy's been alive. By a solid seven years, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's also longer than I've been alive. Oh, too, man. So, so I'm, I am the senior citizen <laughs> on this podcast by far then. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not going to disagree with you on that one, dude. <laughs> Brent is older, though, so he's the senior site member. I think he's got me by a year or two, I think. But Brent uh, is ageless. The, Brent, yeah. is, Brent is ageless. He's, I've never <laughs> seen his face. He's an ageless monk. But uh, first European final in my time as a fan, I, obviously first in your time as a fan, I've never seen Roma win anything but a Coppa Italia and Supercoppa early in my fandom. So, I mean, this is our first chance at like a, a European title. I've never seen a Scudetto. So this would probably be the biggest win uh, in my time as a, a Roma follower. Yeah, I mean, I would obviously agree with that. There's a specialness to the CL semifinals um, and, or the quarterfinals, I guess, but against Barca. Um, less so the semifinals against Liverpool, but, uh, but, uh, despite that, I mean, that was probably the high point of my Roma fandom, uh, considering that I really started seriously following Roma after the 06 world cup. Uh, so yeah, uh, this is a really unique moment. And as much as people might poo poo the Europa conference league, I think that to be able to get to the point where we can win, things like the Europa League or, you know, God forbid the Champions League, you got to start somewhere. And the lack of winning that you just mentioned, 31 years um, of not winning, that makes it so much harder to think that you can win. And so if Roma is able to actually get a trophy, I think that regardless of how long Mourinho stays at the club, it could be a relative watershed moment. Yeah, um, 
that's that's why that's exactly why for me like yes i know we'll get into it but yesterday's result i don't really care about um i know it has the end of the table implications but you know if we win this match it doesn't matter so for now um (laughs) i'm I'm cool with that result uh in the grand scheme of things but in terms of what the moment means we you know mentioned it a little bit but for me uh younger young enough to not have experienced the last time and then in terms of when i started seriously following roma um being over here in the states it's it was kind of difficult until i got to college and had access to the uh you know all the reddit streams and all that good stuff but um <laughs> and but aside from that haven't hadn't really seen roma um aside from generally being a fan so this is huge this is probably right up there with that Champions League comeback, I mean, the Champions League has its own mystique. So um, it was it was weird because I was watching the match and I'm curious as to how you guys felt um, once we at, once the final whistle blew, we knew we actually qualified. But for me, it was it was an awesome moment. And it was I was more so happy for the players, Mourinho, everybody involved in the project more so than myself as a fan compared to the quarterfinal where I felt like I lived and breathed every tackle. So I think for this, uh, and I think the part of that is just due to like how I viewed the, the conference league from the outset. So for me, it was more like, man, these guys really like picked themselves up from that Bodo debacle and, um, you know, did what they had to do and what we all expected to, of them going into the, into the tournament from the get-go. Um, but still super awesome to see, super happy for the club. Yeah, I agree. They definitely picked themselves up from the Bodo debacle because early in the tournament, too, I was kind of on the fence. Like, do we really want to play in the conference league? Is it going to be a waste of energy? Is it going to hurt us in the table? And, you know, we said Roma was probably about a fifth place club to begin with. So they probably don't qualify for Champions League with that early start, even without the conference league. Right. So once they were into the knockout rounds, I was all in like you're in it. You might as well try to win it. And I felt pretty confident in the Leicester match considering we went to Leicester and and got the one, one, I I felt pretty good coming home. I mean, another thing you have to give credit to is the freakins for putting in place policies that get this stadium filled, right. From the pricing to hiring Mourinho to getting fans excited about the club again. I think the freakin silent work uh, behind the scenes is is having an effect too, because seeing the Olympical pact with 65,000 people or whatever the, the capacity is, every match is just amazing. I mean, not only do they do it for the conference league semifinal against an English side in Leicester, they're doing it against everybody. I mean, I'm sure it'll be sold out against Venezia this weekend too. The fans are excited. And then you see on the other side of the city, Lazio, they don't, they, they barely get people into the seats. Right. I mean, Lotito made a comment. I saw recently that they had tickets between 10 and 20 euros this past weekend, and they still had trouble filling it. And they gave away a couple thousand tickets. So it just shows the difference and not to poke fun at Lazio, but yeah, to poke fun at Lazio at the same time, it's like, Roma's packing the place, right? They're packing the house. And this is the team that is in sixth place right now. So it's not like we're going for a Scudetto or something in the league. People are still excited about those league matches. And in terms of, Jimmy mentioned, some people are poo-pooing the conference league. I know I follow a lot of different um, fans of different city outsides on Twitter, and they're all poking fun at Roma for making a third-tier competition. Oh, they had to create a, a, a European tournament for Roma to be relevant, blah, blah, blah. I think those people are just upset that we might have something besides the bonsai tree in the last decade, so they can't make fun of us anymore for that. But this is the first European final for an Italian side since Mourinho's Inter, I think, in 2012 was the year they won. So in a decade, no Italian side has made a European um, 
I, I guess besides Juventus, right? No side. I'm sorry. No side has won since 2012. Yeah. They made a couple. Yeah, I was gonna say Juve definitely yes. made a couple. They made it, but nobody's won it, right? So even if Roma well, wins, not, let's not jinx ourselves just yet. Right, but I'm saying if final. Roma does win it, there's plenty to be proud of, right? I mean, it's still a European tournament. You had to be at a couple quality sides, and with Mourinho, it's all about winning trophies, right? And that's the first step, really, to building towards something bigger. And I think that's the way he saw this tournament and the way he approached, especially in the knockout rounds. Yeah, I mean, I would also add, a, I'll add a couple points. First of all, wow, if they're, they're selling tickets for 10 to 20 euros for Lazio matches and not filling up the stadium, that's like something that a AAA minor league team in the United States can do relatively easy if they have like a ten, $10 ticket night. Anyway, that's point number one. Point number two, I find it kind of surprising that other clubs in Italy really think they have a leg to stand on and criticizing us for not winning much because... Let's be real. Nobody's been winning much. And I, I'm pretty sure that for the past several years, Roma has usually been the last Italian club standing in European competition when we've been in European competition. Yeah, with uh, three semifinals in, in a five-year span, I think, or yeah, four-year span. Yeah, and, and you can obviously make the comment like, oh, first was the Champions League, then the Europa League, now the ECL, like you're going down. But at the same time, nobody's, nobody else in Italy is getting deep in, in these tournaments. And you can probably try to divine a lot of different reasons for that I would say that part of it is that if you're a Scudetto contender I think that in Italy you're often way more likely to just give up on European competitions before you give up on the Scudetto I think that's yep. a flawed mentality but I think it's a mentality I, I agree and I think even not even Scudetto contenders Jim I mean there's teams like Lazio who Saudi wasn't upset about crashing out of the Europa League because hey we then we could focus on what qualifying for the Europa League again you're not a Champions League quality caliber team so exactly that, that is a it's, been a problem since i've been following Serie A with a lot of these sides i mean there are a huge number of problems with italian football in general uh including you know what will always be my complaint that outside of Mourinho, none of the big sides have been really putting forward a lot of young talent uh over the past several seasons like roma has been the exception to the rule in a lot of respects for young talent and that's great for us but it's really troublesome for the Azuri, as we've seen in the World Cup run-up. But there are a lot of kind of mediocre guys on the Azuri. And as a result, we're not going to the World Cup. <laughs> um, and there's a, there's a lot of things. I, I wish there was more coordination between the, uh, the Football Association and uh, each club. It seems like there just isn't when it comes to, you know, youth development. But yeah, I mean, anyone who's my main point is anyone who's criticizing Roma for being excited about being inches away from winning a trophy needs to realize that nobody except for Juventus has been winning any trophies as of late. And even Juventus hasn't been winning a European competition. So I'm pretty satisfied with this as it stands. Yeah, I'll just quickly add um, they announced today the new format for the Champions League starting in 2024, 2025, I believe. And they, um, adding four teams and in uh, originally the way the plan was for those unfamiliar is that they were going to award one of the spots to whoever had the um, I guess highest coefficient in uh, Europe um, that would be Roma a lot of the times based on our you know our runs in some of these tournaments so for some of these other Italian teams who don't aren't consistently in the champions league like there's something to worth fighting for mm -hmm. there was or they decided to uh go with a different option but you know things like that that incentivizes you to to perform well so um i know a lot of the soccer world was very against 
that idea but for for Roma that would have been great um but it just shows you how important it is to make those runs and then special shout out to uh the to Roma and the Freakins for um you know making the ticket allocation for the final free for season ticket holders yeah. um that was a lovely gesture on their part and just really reinforced I feel like uh upper management Mourinho they're all about you know doing it for the fans and that's just another example of it and so you know just a little shout out to them for that yeah and and credit to Mourinho the passion he's shown now for Roma is is clear like he had tears in his eyes after making this final and to me when I heard that the last Italian team to win a European trophy was Mourinho's Inter I wasn't surprised because you see the way Mourinho uh like goes at these knockout round matches right not the prettiest football but it's it's effective a lot of the time right you think about the way Roma approached the Liverpool match a couple of years ago in the first leg. EDF was completely out of his element, tried to be way too open and aggressive going to Anfield. That would have never happened with Mourinho. Roma may well have lost that match, but not in the manner they lost 6-2, right? And the same thing that happened at Old Trafford last year. I know Leicester's not uh, the same as they were when they won the, the Premier League a couple of years ago. They're not that Liverpool. They're not even last year's United, who wasn't a great United side. But just the mentality is completely different from what Roma's seen. Like they approached this in a way that was pragmatic enough to keep themselves in the mat in the in the tie in the first like go home to a packed Olimpico and and then you take your chances there. And and Tammy got that early goal and Roma defended like hell. And I think it was Johnny Evans, the the defender from Leicester, he said, We just couldn't break Roma down. When was the last time you've heard we we couldn't break Roma down? Like I, I don't. I don't know if I can ever recall, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've I heard that from my Leicester City friend who listens to the podcast regularly so shout out to Jamie um he said after the match you know we just couldn't break you down you guys were parking the bus and I was like wait you Roma Roma <laughs> Roma did that um but more seriously I do want to also add you know props to Mourinho for really in incentivizing the squad to be thinking big but also props to the Friedkins for running a good ship and doing so quietly I mean it's my philosophy for ownership of a sports team has always been that a quiet ownership that is happy to invest is the best form of ownership. You don't want a guy like, sorry, Jim Pilota, but like Jim Pilota, who's just like putting out press statements, pissing everybody off. That should be the job of the manager, to be honest with you. And like having Mourinho be that guy is way better than having the owner of the club be that guy. Um, so I have to give a lot of props for all the reasons Brandon already gave, uh, but just more generally speaking to the Friedkins for finding the right balance between strong investment, really strong investment, like hundreds of millions of euros investment after buying the club, plus knowing that, you know, silence is somewhat golden. Like the most, I don't think I've ever heard either of them speak. And, you know, you see a picture of them during the game, usually. Like you see like a video footage in, in like a Roma mask and you're like, okay, that's them. Yeah. And that's yeah, they, are. Really, they, they do exist. That, that's it. <laughs> yeah, like that's all I see of them. And that's for the best. So thank you to the freakings. Yeah, we don't want the owner that's, oh, we'll never sell Allison 75 million euros or whatever comes along and Allison's gone on the first plane to Liverpool and he's out, out of town, right? I hope he listens to us and tweets at us later. <laughs> hey, we can have him on Jim Pilata, come yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, Jim Pilata, come on the podcast. <laughs> so yesterday, things didn't go as swimmingly, so to speak, in Florence. I mean, I think we expected a, a let off, right? There's that emotional toll and that physical toll that happens 
when you play just three days earlier in a semifinal, a lot of pressure to get through, had to defend like hell. Tammy Abraham in the, like the 75th minute just kind of broke down in that match to the point where the announcers thought he was hurt at first. He was just exhausted against Leicester City. So I was a little surprised, and I, you can give me your opinion, that when I did the problems, I expected, I didn't expect a huge turnover based on what I was seeing in the publications, but I expected like at least three to four players switched out. The only guy that was switched out was Zaniolo. Uh, who probably for obvious reasons shouldn't play too many minutes and Mkhitaryan's been hurt. So he's out. But other than that, there was one, there was just the one change from Thursday's match to yesterday. I thought maybe three, four guys get some fresh legs, maybe some uh, guy who's a little more motivated to impress. I, I think it backfired a little bit. I mean, anyone who read my preview would know that I was expecting heavy rotation. Like two yeah. out of the three things that I said to watch for were like, are players who, you know, have either been promising or need, you know, like an uptick in form. Are they going to get a chance to start this pretty important match? And I was surprised that we didn't get so much rotation. My gut says that coming off the high of the ECL booking the ticket to the finals, maybe a lot of the first team guys were just like all heads of steam, like full of adrenaline being like, yeah, I can do another match right now. Yeah, we're going to win this. And then actually getting onto the pitch, they realized just how tired their legs were. Um, That would be my bet for what happened because I can't really explain why you wouldn't rotate more for this match um, other than that. I'll take a stab at it. I think um, so. I myself was surprised at the lack of rotation going into the match. I hadn't really been paying too much attention in the buildup just because like the players, I'm sure, you know, still on the reaching the final high. Um, So for me, the Fiorentina match was kind of an afterthought in the grand scheme of things, but did expect some rotation. And then when it didn't come, it's like, oh, wow, um, <laughs> what's going on here? But I think it's more to do with the fact that they're playing Venezia next. And Mourinho is probably mm-hmm. like, okay, these guys are tired, but their confidence is pretty high. If they can get past Fiorentina, even if it's just a draw, we have Venezia next. I can afford to make these rotations, um, give some of these guys a break. Didn't work out that way, but that's, that's probably the only explanation I can come up with as to why there wasn't more rotation. Yeah, it could be that, um, you know, and I, I think you made a good point. If, if they at least got the draw, they pretty much are set for a, a Europa League spot with the, with the two matches they have to close out this season. Right. I think it's Venezia home, Torino away. The good news is Roma still controls their own destiny, at least to finish sixth, which fifth or sixth gets you Europa League qualification, whether or not Roma wins the conference league final. So Roma does have to, in my opinion, go to win these two matches, right? Whether it's with heavy rotation or, or some combination of starters and maybe a couple subs in each match, they do have to go for the wins at this point. I mean, Venezia is the one team that is guaranteed to be relegated at this point. So you, you figure they're coming in on a bit of a, you know, low, I guess, but they did win last week at Bologna, right? They, they, they pulled out a 3-2 win. So the, they're still playing for pride. So hopefully Roma comes in prepared for that. But we had a couple questions, one on Twitter, um, from AS Roma fan six and one from Francesco 10 on the message boards, basically asking what's the strategy for the rest of the season rotation for Venezia and Torino preparation for the, the final or lean onto the starters fully. Um, you know, he thinks we should give players with a little less time, a chance here. How would you guys approach these two matches knowing there's no guarantee on Europa league, you know, because you can't play the conference league final until after the fact. So you kind of have to go for it in both ways, I guess. Right. Yeah, so I think that the way that I would approach it is that way. You have to you have to play it both ways, to be honest with you. I don't think that I think that the problem is that if you I'm not saying throw the match, but if you don't put your whole energy into every match that you're gonna play, 
you're setting a dangerous precedent for mentality that I don't think Mourinho will ever want to be setting. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, to bring it into another sport, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks intentionally lost their last game of the season to avoid playing who they perceived as a tougher opponent. And it is currently biting them in the ass because they don't have home court advantage in a key series now. Um, and it just set a mentality for the other team where the Celtics were just like, we're going to win every match we can. And that there's a very big difference in mentality between we're being very selective and trying to say, okay, we'll throw, we'll give up on this one to try to win that one. And I'd much rather Roma think we're winning every single match we play than let's rotate the whole side. If the, if the season was over and like Mourinho was about to be fired or something, then I would say, yeah, sure. Throw on the entire Primavera. But we have so much to play for both in the league and in the ECL that I would say the most important thing is to just, you know, play each match as if you want to get the three points emphatically. Yeah, I think for me, it kind of just depends on what uh, constitutes success for the club for the rest of the season. So if you think it's getting fifth and winning the conference league, obviously go for it. If you are satisfied with finishing a place above Paolo Fonseca's Roma with the slightly higher point total. I think a win against Venezia would do it um, in terms of the points, if I remember correctly. Um, and, you know, right there. And then you can, I guess, call it uh, an improvement over the previous season, um, notwithstanding the Conference League final on its own. Um, but uh, I think for me, I'd probably, I mean, the, the Torino games three days before the, the conference league final, I think Mourinho, all his eggs are in that conference uh, league final basket, just in, you know, in terms of what it means for the club, but also he'll forever be able to say, I'm the coach that brought um, a trophy to Roma after so many years. So I think, there's going to be some heavy, heavy rotation, regardless of what uh, what's at stake in the last match of the season. I personally think, you know, you should you should play all your guys and kind of just expect the uh, the emotions of the final to give them that extra boost. Because you know, Feyenoord also probably is equally as tired um, at this point in the season. All all teams are, so I think you just kind of have to keep the momentum going as best you can, I guess in this case, generate it since they're, uh, you know, a little bit of a losing or a little bit of a downslide in the league. So get a couple of wins under your belt, get that confidence back up um, and then just hope that the momentum of the final carries you. Yeah. I, I definitely think you are able to ride the momentum in a final much more than a league match after a semifinal. Right. So I, I don't think, the legs will be a huge issue. I do expect some rotation, especially against Venezia, like you, like you said, but uh, I think it'll be a combination. Like you guys said, I, I don't think Roma can mail it in, in the league because a one-off final is, is a dangerous game to play, right? You can have a penalty in the third minute or whatever it was like Roma had yesterday. It kind of throws the whole match into a tailspin and just, I don't want to talk too much about yesterday's match, but the referee came up again yesterday. I didn't get to see it live because I was at work, but looking at the replay and then a couple still images after the fact, I mean, how, how was I, I? Don't I didn't even see Rick Carter make contact. I'll just say that I tried to be as sarcastic as possible in my highlights piece, where I said that uh, Carsdorp with a single toe generated enough force to cause uh, Nico Gonzalez to crumple in a heap in the box, <laughs> uh, 
it was it was very and to give that call in the second minute is kind of absurd in my in my opinion just because um you know that that completely changes the game the game and uh we talked about it over and over again just how Roma concede early and then it's almost impossibly tough sledding the rest of the way and you know part of that's on Roma for not being able to get back into it but as the ref you know the, you could very easily just swallow the whistle, whistle there call incidental contact um it wasn't like Karsdorp was studs up uh tackle destroyed his shin type of move um so it's just really disappointing to see Roma on you know the the shit end of the stick once again with the refs yeah yeah and and hopefully things change next year I mean we can't always blame the refs but definitely early in a match it does set the tone so I don't know man I can blame the refs a lot (laughs) (laughs) and Jim you've got Fiorentina purple on over there today I mean come on Coming I've got William. I, I've got Williams purple on, man. That's my alma mater. You can't. You can't knock it just because. I, yeah, no. We're, we're not going there. An, you've given me enough stick about uh, the light blue city colors. <laughs> yeah, but that's another soccer club, man. This is just a college. There's a well, difference. If, There's yeah, a difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't support. I don't support a light blue soccer club. I have standards. <laughs> Anyway, we'll move on from Fiorentina. We have we have some uh, questions on Twitter and the message boards that we'll get to uh, to, to close out the episode. And now that we've discussed uh, what's coming up, so a couple questions. One had to do with Mkhitaryan. Uh, Sufjan asked, would the result have been different if Mickey played yesterday? But I think the more important question that Irish Romanista brought up, piggybacking off this on Twitter, was he said Roma's played 270 minutes of football since Mickey went out and only scored one goal, which is off the corner. That was the goal by Tammy in the semifinal because Roma had the 0-0 to Bologna prior to that match and then the 2-0 yesterday. How, are, how connected do we think these things are? Seems like a serious issue for our open play. So that, that question's there. And then also, Sufjan asked, does Roma have enough goal threats outside of Tammy and Pellegrini? Not many others have the quality to consistently score goals. Uh, with Mickey now in a more, you know, I guess, pulled back role and without Vertu contributing, it seems like Roma's attack just doesn't have enough bite. So tackling kind of those two questions in tandem, does Mickey make a big difference in these three matches in terms of goal scoring, or is it that they don't have enough goal threats outside of the big two, really, uh, you know, the playmaker and the the striker? Um, I'll take a stab at this first. I'll I'll go with the second one and say that Roma does not have nearly enough attacking options that are capable of um, being a consistent goal scoring threat. Um, I'd probably throw El Shirari in that mix too, just because every time he gets in the game, he, he always seems on the verge of something, whether it happens or not, that's a different story, but he always seems to be on the verge, but, uh, just the plate, the amount of minutes isn't there for him compared to Abraham and Zaniolo and Pellegrini. So I'm hoping that's something that is addressed in the summer. And now that Roma's out of the running for Erling Holland, um, your options are a little <laughs> bit more limited. <laughs> <laughs> But damn, um, we missed out just yeah. by that much, guys. <laughs> just a few hey. cents here and there. <laughs> Got to do a um, GoFundMe next time. Yeah. But <laughs> in terms of the first question in Roma's dependence on Mkhitaryan, I think it's been very evident that they've missed him, particularly in the second leg of the Leicester match. But I think the last three matches in context, like the Bologna match, it's sandwiched between the Leicester. Uh, what the Leicester matches and you kind of just take what you can get. Um, that's not where your, where your priorities are at. And then yesterday's match again, 
coming off the high of reaching the final. So you're exhausted mentally and physically. And then, you know, you have the penalty right away. So right away you're out of the game um, before it really gets started. So I think, I certainly think, you know, Mkhitaryan being there gives Roma a better chance to get in back into the game yesterday or to, um, you know, maybe sneak a goal in at Bologna. But uh, I think in context, you kind of, have to really take into account just how focused this team was on those Leicester matches. Um, but I guess we'll see though, because he's going to be out for up until the final. So we'll see in the Venezia and Torino matches, just how much it's uh, had to do with your concentration being elsewhere or, uh, you know, Mkhitaryan missing. Yeah. And I think those matches will also kind of give us an idea if there are other attacking options, because you have to think maybe Tammy gets, the Venezia match off, right? Or at least from the start, maybe Eldor gets a look. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I think we do need more goal scoring options. I think one hope is that Nicolo Zaniolo becomes the goal scoring threat we hoped he would maybe into next year. I know there's a couple of questions about him. And, you know, we had uh, D. Bush asked, Do you honestly believe Zaniolo can be a star with us again? He was watching a, a YouTube video of the pre injury Zaniolo and, and looking at, you know, how he's been a completely different player from what he's watched. You know, he thinks. He wonders, can he be a, a big-time player again? And then Adam Fish, it wasn't a question. He basically said, at this point, I'd sell Zaniolo for $55 million, discussed. So looking at Zaniolo, we've discussed him plenty, so we can make this one kind of quick, but do you think he could still be a star? Yes or no, and give, give a reason why. And would you sell him for fifty-five at this point? That's like an I'll take my <laughs> answer off the air type type uh type trade proposal um i i don't think we're going to get 55 million for zaniolo right now for starters um i think that that's unrealistic uh i think that on the other hand even if we were going to get it you don't sell him right now we we've talked about zaniolo's struggles this season seemingly on every single recording of this podcast since the beginning of time um but uh given that uh, my opinion remains the same. I want to see what he looks like next season. We actually, you know, is getting some mileage under his knees. And also, you know, hopefully the refs maybe give him a bit more daylight between, uh, you know, getting eaten alive and not getting fouls called. Yeah, I think for, I, I saw that question uh, earlier in the day. Um, and I, in my head, I was just like, hell no. End of discussion. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, 55 million. I mean, I see it both ways. I think I think you'll only have a handful of clubs even willing to go that high for him based on how this season has gone. On the other hand, with his potential and his age and the flashes that we have seen this season, particularly uh, second leg against Bodo, um, you know, that's that's a potential 70 million, 80 million euro player right there. When if if he gets it together and it all starts to click again like it looked like it was going to before um before the ACL injuries but like you guys said give him another season see where it goes I really think depending on who we bring in um some good complimentary pieces some pieces that we've been missing for however many years I think will allow Zaniolo to be himself a little bit more than maybe he has been um since he's been back so from in that regard I think that he's primed to explode if all the pieces are in place. It's just a question of if he's going to actually make it happen. Yeah. And I think Jim makes a good point. I don't know if anybody will offer 55 based on this season. They'd probably try a buy low strategy with Roma. 
And I, you know, 55 million is a lot of money, right? If you were to get that offer, but then Roma's doing the same Jim Polo to era Roma, where you get a, a young potential star, you sell them too early. And then you, you have a player that could have been worth even more a few years down the road. If, if the plan was to sell them. Right. And I think physically Zaniolo looks pretty good for the most part. He's still got the pace. He's still got the strength. In fact, he's even stronger now because he bulked up a little bit and is kind of growing into his, his body now as a 22 year old. Um, so I think it's more the mental aspect that needs to be worked on with him, the vision and making better decisions. And that can be worked on with experience. So I'd be hesitant to give up on him now and then see him go to Juve or somewhere else and have a 15, 20 goal season a year or two down the line. And then you're like kicking yourself because now he's a hundred million euro player, right? If, if the trajectory goes the way it was pre-injury. So I'd be very hesitant to, to sell him at this point. Still very bitter over, uh, Mo Salah leaving the year before Neymar transfer changed the game. It would have been <laughs> so much more money. Than yeah, and the Liverpool forty odd million. They 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 knew our situation, right? They took full advantage yeah. of the fact we needed forty million before June thirtieth. Yeah. It wasn't even like we had a full summer to like kind of shop them around and, and maybe get a bidding war going somewhere. I mean, the problem during the Pelota era was that generally speaking, we were easy marks. Yeah. Um, they knew what the budget was like. They knew that we somehow kept on managing to find good players. So there never was really a concern that, you know, like, oh, what if this guy's going to be a dud outside of Rome for most of these major transfers? And then, yeah, I mean, Sabatini kept on unearthing great prospects, but because of the nature of the beast, we had to sell them immediately. And certain clubs like Liverpool in particular pounced on that. Yeah. And you remember Roma isn't a supermarket. You remember that quote, right? you're right we're a costco we were a costco during that that era <laughs> just selling in bulk great value brand <laughs> yeah, yeah that 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 oh man i, I just shout out to costco i can't keep uh liverpool you know, had the premium card exactly yeah, right in they had the executive want. membership yeah <laughs> they got the 90 they got the 99 cent hot dog while they were there <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so now that we finished talking about Roma as a supermarket or Costco, guys, there have been some improvements this year, which is why you don't want to, like, just tear it apart like Pelota used to, right? So Costuba, Harry Haran, he, you know, he said, Viola match aside, what can you attribute to our defensive solidity? You know, considering it's almost all the same players from a, a side that conceded 58 times last season. Roma's conceded 42 so far. So with two matches left, there's 16 goals conceded better. But let me put this in context. As I was looking at the table out of curiosity, Roma's got the – uh, sixth best defense in terms of goals allowed for the teams that are ahead of them are the four champions league contenders. And the other is Torino, but Torino doesn't score much, which is why they sit down 10th in the table. So, you know, the, the teams that are qualifying for the champions league, the top three sides have all conceded 31 times. Juve has conceded 33 times. So I guess the improvements there, but it's got to get better too at the same time. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think anyone would have pretended like this was going to be, I hate to use the really tired phrasing of this, but like this was year one, right? Like I think this was year one of a new project because when the Freakins bought the team, there was a lot of, you know, leftover detritus that they 
needed to use until contracts expired and things like that. But this is the real start. Um, I think that I'll be very interested to see how much money Roma spends this summer and where Roma spends that money. I think that there's got to be a, like a truckload of accountants across the world right now working on trying to figure out how much how much teeth the new financial fair play will actually have. And if the Friedkins find a reason to not be too scared of it, I don't doubt that they will drop serious cash. Um, I also think that there's pretty high potential for Roma to be able to just drop more cash, period, in the upcoming years, because I don't know if you guys saw this, but Roma very quietly uh, put up some new plans for a 60,000 person stadium and again, just to contrast that to the Pelota era, Jim mm-hmm. Pelota, come on our podcast. Um, <laughs> just to contrast that, like, remember how much of a big show that was when they announced the new stadium last time around? This was literally just like paperwork being filed, little ado. I think that they've really taken the best lessons that they could from the Pelota era. Um, and yeah, I, I'm optimistic long-term, but I would also just say that this you have to be thinking about this in a long-term sense. Yeah, and, and I think the improvements have to come down to Mourinho's tactics, right? A healthy smalling has helped, but I think we discuss all the time a DM. If a DM comes in, I think that number could drop even more, especially with another year of Mourinho and his tactics, because we've seen a big contrast to, I think the second half of the season has been improvement over the first half of the season. So that number 42 could be even lower in a, in a full season, I think. Yeah. If you, um, you know, you look at last season's record, we are like 10 or 12 goals worse off um, in terms of the goals scored 10 or 12 goals is a little better in terms of goals conceded. So if you're just looking at the numbers, you can just, you know, be like, Oh, duh, of course, once I played more expansive, open football of course that's how the numbers shook out but if you look at um the second half of the season this year in particular this team finally has an identity um to speak of and it doesn't always work out of you know you can point to the match against inter for example like that the the strategy isn't always um gonna work but some of that's down to the players and some of that's just down to form and momentum and all that good stuff. Um, but it's, it's nice to finally have a team with an identity. And then as you guys were saying, depending on how we um, invest over the summer, can get that number down a little bit more too. Yeah. And, you know, I think the identity is important because Roma at best can only finish three points higher than last year, 62 under Fonseca. They could finish up as well as 65 under Mourinho if they win the last two matches. But I think, the trajectory of the way this season went, I think is important to look at. Cause you know, we have people asking like D Bush asked, this is not a dig at Marino, just an overall question. Do you think Roma has improved over the last 12 months? He said, we play ugly football, have similar number of points, have paid hundred million for transfers of which Vini and Tammy, which were urgencies are only six, 50 to 60 million of that number. But I think it's important to, to keep in mind, Fonseca started really well last season. Like Roma was in, I think second place uh, somewhere around the new year. Right. And then, they all of a sudden were just plummeted at the end. Whereas this realm has been gradually improving. And I, I think it's important to take that context too. And in terms of the ugly football comment, I think playing defensively in some regard is not ugly. It's effective. And I think if you see a lot of the goals we've scored in the counterattack, they've been nice, nice team goals that we've seen. Yeah. You have like uh, the one Bodo goal where it was three, four touches back of the net uh, starting from behind your own halfway line. So 
that's not really something that uh, uh, th there was moments where uh, Fonseca's Roma played some pretty football, but in terms of devastating one one touch counterattacking football like that, I can't really remember any instances of that off the top of my head. Um, but that's also a trademark of Mourinho, so that's kind of uh, what you get when you're bringing him in. Um, so yeah, I think I think um, I don't know. It's it's it's. I understand how it can be ugly, but like, especially in knockout competitions, like it works, at least under Mourinho, he has a track record of it working. So as long as the results are coming in, I don't really care. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably, I know, I know there's some clubs across Europe where their identity is tied to playing attractive football, no matter the results. I don't, um, I'm sure I'm dating myself here to some degree by by saying that I don't really feel that way about this club and you know for me as long as we're getting the results I don't care how it happens yeah results matter I think it comes down to that and speaking of you know just the overall quality of the league we did have one that was league-wide and everybody calm down asked how good is Serie A overall four to nine this year in the table are all very close and wildly entertaining down the stretch are we seeing Calcio overall quality improve or just more mediocre? I got to see some of these clubs succeed in Europe before I can actually make a statement on that. I think that there's more parity in the league yeah. than, than there was before. But I think that just as it wasn't a good sign for Italian football that Juventus was mopping the floor for like a decade straight, it's also not a good sign for Italian football that Roma is like the only club that seems to make it deep into competitions, in European competitions. I think that there are a lot of mentality issues with Italian football writ large. I just like there are a lot of issues with Roman football. Uh, I have more confidence in Roma's ability to be a bright light in the darkness than I do of the entire league being, let's say, on par with the Premier League in the near future. I think that's just being realistic because the sheer amount of money that the Premier League is able to create right now creates a self-fulfilling prophecy where any decent player in a, even in a top four league wants to end up there to be able to get paid well, which is totally reasonable. Um, yeah. I, I think that there's more parity in the league, but that does not, that doesn't necessarily mean that the league is better than it was before. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think there's more parity, right? Because it, the, the, the race for Europa league is wide open. The, the title race has been wide open for most of the season the race for the top four was, was still somewhat open up to a few weeks ago when you finally wrapped up the last champions league spot. But I think at the top right now, this is the weakest champion Italy is going to see in the last decade because I agree with that. this Milan yeah. is, is not that good when you compare it to the Juve's the of that nine year run. And they're not as good as last year's inter. And that's no knock on what Milan's doing because God bless they're, they're doing something I did not expect that roster to be able to do, but that roster is not very good. They finished fourth yeah. in their champions league group. I would also argue that that roster would have gotten like third or fourth place, even in like the peak Juve winning everything yeah. years. Like I think yeah. that the Napoli yeah. and Roma's of Roma's those, and Napoli's were better, of those yeah. were better than what we're seeing from either Milan club right now. Yeah. Yeah. Inter has been so, so disappointing They're, They've been very inconsistent. So I think overall parity. Yes. Uh, better in terms of competitiveness, but I don't think that, I don't know if I can say the quality is better when you see a champion that, may not finish in the top four in the premier league. If you put him there this year. Right. I mean, I know the fourth place has been a revolving during the premier league too, but they, they'd be hard pressed to finish top four. I think even. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, 
like you said, the race for top four is still a little bit up in the air in the Premier League. But regardless of who finishes fourth, if you, you know, asked 100 people, uh, what which of these teams do you think can make a run to the Champions League semifinals, you would at least get two, maybe even three with Chelsea. Whereas with Serie A, if you, if you, if you ask that same question, you maybe get some like inter dark horse semifinal yeah. run but like other than that there's no expectation that any of these teams are making deep run in the champions league but even then they don't seem built for that no nor don't. do they necessarily seem like they want to be built for that based yeah. on what we talked about um where they kind of just say f it let's let's just go for the league or let's go for top four which is and a I'm shame just, because yeah. it, as we talked about you know it going going for it in all competitions breeds that consistencies that will, you know, sustain title challenges for years to come. And it's I mean, my, that, that's, that's the Mourinho effect, yeah. right? You look at what Inter did those two years. If he stuck around, we probably look at Inter being dominant in Italy for many years after that. Yeah. I mean, my hot take about Inter and Milan is that they're both relatively speaking built on houses of cards um, financially. Uh, I'm not, con- I mean, unless they find new buyers in the near future, uh, I'm not 100% convinced that even this version of either Milan club is sustainable. Uh, given that, I can understand why ownership might make it clear to managers like, hey, we want to win what we can win right now. And it's pretty clear that even with the players that Inter has right now, they might not be able to win the league. So this is the only pop, like not be able to win anything major in Europe. This is the only real like reasoning that I could come up with that, you know, they know they can't win CL. They know they can't throw too much more money at this because they're practically insolvent. And the, the league is breathing down their neck about, you know, fudging the numbers on transfers and things like that. There's a lot of, I'm getting a lot of Enron vibe from Inter Milan recently. Let's put it that way. Uh, and <laughs> I, I think, I think that uh, that's the only real reason I can think of for why Inter just decides not to care about Europe right now. And I think awesome. Inter took it the most seriously uh, this season because they just ran into Liverpool, who is yeah. one of the, the probably the top two, three teams in Europe. So, and they played them pretty well. So I won't I won't hammer Inter too hard, but you do see the, um, I guess, positive spin of crashing out of the Champions League early last year for Inter. Won the Scudetto because of that that a little bit less hectic schedule, and Milan crashed out the group stage. Didn't have to worry about Europa League as well. And that's benefiting them too, because that team would have been spread very thin playing in Europe another couple rounds or something. So, yeah, but in terms of uh, just representing Italy, Roma's been the team. And that's a, and this is a Roma that hasn't been a top four side now for a couple of years. And they are the team that has been able to kind of carry the torch a little bit. So good for Roma, but not good for the league's image in Europe for sure. Shout out to Florenzi for his goal. Um, over the weekends, <laughs> I still love you, Flo. Yeah, come, come on the podcast. Come on the podcast. <laughs> All right. So to wrap up, we have a couple questions from Yorkada on the message board, and, and he he had three, and he put in parentheses, admittedly phrased in a hostile manner. Questions. So DC yeah. Roma gang, right yeah. up. He's in DC. He, we love we love it. He asked, uh, "What do you make of Abraham's play style, blowing so hot and cold? Sometimes he's a dyna- dynamo, helping out with a little bit of everything. Other times he's practically a poacher." Do you think that's down to Mourinho's instructions, a function of his frustration at times, or just an inability to shake free of top-level center backs? He's a striker. And strikers in general run hot and cold. I think that that's pretty well well known. Unless your name is Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, 
you have great periods and you have less great periods. And I'm not too worried about Tammy Abraham, period. Like we've seen from him in his first season in Serie A that he's able to be a fantastic starting striker and would probably start for nearly any side in, in Italy. Um, given that, I would say that I'm not too worried about his ability to continue maturing as a player. He's only 24. And I think that his ability to handle far more experienced and world-class center backs is going to come with time. What you can't teach necessarily is his inclination when things are going better for him to be a complete striker. You can't, I don't, I don't think you can teach that in the same way that you can teach, you know, how to respond to defensive tactics. And especially when you remember that the premier league isn't exactly known for its defensive solidity. The fact that he's been able to do as well as he has against the league that is prized for its defensive ability tells you the determination that he has as a player to continue growing. So I'm pretty optimistic for him long-term. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think energy levels are hard to keep up every match too, right? Like a match yesterday, he he's probably bound to take a little step back from what he did after all that running in the conference league. So I'm not concerned either. You're right. Strikers go hot and cold. It's just, it's just the name of the game. I think with a striker. Um, and then speaking of Abraham, he asked, what do you make of the rumors surrounding Abraham's transfer, which he hasn't exactly shied away from, you know, uh, you now have Mourinho acknowledging that if he wants to, he can go anywhere in England other than city. Now, is he going to prove those of us who thought he was a mercenary, right? Or is it just all noise? I love the phrasing of the, the question. He said it was a really hostile. These are incredibly hostile. Man, did Tammy Abraham like pee in your Cheerios this morning? Or uh, come on. I love it. I love it. Keep keep the hostility going. But um, yeah, I think I think it's best for all parties that we're kind of just realistic about what this is. Whereas you know, Tammy's abroad. Um, I, I think maybe we should just look at this as an apprenticeship for him. And then inevitably he will go back to England at some point. Now I do hope that he's here for many years and at least wins Roma a few titles, but at the end of the day, I don't think any of us are kidding ourselves and thinking he's going to be a lifelong Roma player, which would be great. But for the purposes of this question, I don't really think it's fair to label him a mercenary for coming here. Um, you know, if, if, if that was the case, I, I think he was he was linked with Arsenal before joining with us. Yeah. And so being a boyhood yeah. uh, Chelsea Academy player like that, that's more of a mercenary move, in my opinion, than coming to Roma, um, learning from one of the greats and Jose, Jose Mourinho, and then going back to England when you are um, in your prime or a little bit into it, um, depending on when he does leave. So... Um, I think it's best for all parties if we're just realistic about probably what this situation will be. Yeah. And I'll just add that. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I'll just add that, you know, moving from the club where you were an Academy graduate to another club doesn't like turn you into Zlatan Ibrahimovic overnight. Like, like, I'm sorry, man, but he's played for what (laughs) one club at the senior level right now. Um, I mean, two clubs, including Chelsea. And he had a loan. Uh, he had a loan in the championship. He had a loan. He yeah. had a loan. Yeah. So like, yeah, so did Lorenzo Villa, and Lorenzo Pellegrini had the same exact situation where he went off on loan, like or a practical loan. So right. like, I, I no one's ever, no one's accusing Lorenzo Pellegrini of being a mercenary. If you know, like, let's say Real Madrid calls him and uh, and he makes a decision that Toti didn't and moves to Spain or whatever. Like, no one would call him a mercenary for leaving Roma for Real Madrid. And I wouldn't call Tammy Abraham a mercenary for leaving Roma for one of the big four 
uh, English clubs. Like I, I'm, there's a difference between being a mercenary and properly valuing yourself as an item on whatever job market you're on. And it's a whole lot less true in the soccer market than it is in the real world. But even in the real world today, like people are hopping jobs a whole lot more and soccer players have always done that more but I have I don't begrudge someone for making the right move for their career and I definitely wouldn't jump to calling them a mercenary especially since it's the opposite of a mercenary move to move to a side who isn't exactly like guaranteed to win a European title or even a Scudetto in the near future yeah I don't think he goes anywhere this summer because if he's going anywhere Roma's gonna say well you got to pay us 80 million euros because we're we're you know in line possibly for that next summer and then you know, at some point, I he I, I can't see him not going back to the EPL because he's going to want to, you know, test himself again in, in those waters, I think, because that is the Premier League and it's known as the top league in Europe. But I think he's very happy at Roma. He's, he, he's, he is into it every match. He's hyping up the fans. You know, he's he's saying things. He put put says the right things in the media. So I'm not that concerned. I know this question was worded hostile, hostilely in, uh, you know, on purpose. So... I'd say, no, he doesn't go anywhere right now. I think it's just noise right now. When, when you're scoring 25 goals for Roma and you're the top scoring English striker anywhere right now, more than Harry Kane, more than anybody else that England could possibly call up, you're, you're going to be linked to teams, right? And yeah. in, unless Chelsea or somebody else says, oh, we want him back that bad that we'll give you 80 million, which they can't right now because they don't even know what their ownership situation is like. He, he's not going anywhere, right? Who's Arsenal can't afford that. They don't have that kind of money these days. So. Yeah. I was going to say, doesn't that 80 million clause kick in next year anyway? It's so, next year, yeah, yeah. It does. Yeah, so it'd be even more than that now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because you're, you're guaranteed next summer, right? So right. last one we'll wrap on is there was some good news yesterday is that Leonardo Spinazzola returned to the pitch. Just a couple-minute cameo at the end. But uh, finally, Yorkado wants to know, what do you make of his reintroduction? He was under the impression that he needed one and a half to two years to fully recover from an Achilles. Obviously, none of us are in the club or as a doctor, but do you think it was the right course of action? Are they rushing him back? For PR points or actual points on the table? And if so, are they jeopardizing his long-term health or utility to the club? Would you have shut him down the whole year? Uh, and Antonio Lafortette actually re- replied with some in- interesting information here. Spina has been out for 10 months, which seems reasonable because Beckham came back from an Achilles in five months, Hudson Adoy in five months, and Ruben Loftus Cheek in nine months. And I, 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 to me, 10 months seems reasonable for this injury, considering where other players have returned. I think Durant had this similar injury and was back in that less of, of a time frame. Yeah, and uh, if we all remember, they originally wanted him to come back, or he wanted to come back in November. Yeah, yeah. And here we that, are in May. That would be that like five month window we're talking. Right. So if we're yeah, talking, I, if we're talking PR, you know, put him up in the window, dress him up, uh, try and replicate some of the form from the Euros, and then sell him off like that. That's the PR move. Yeah. Um, getting, I think, I think yesterday was more about finally getting him back on the pitch. Um, obviously the result is decided by that point, but he's been in training for a little bit now. So, you know, the, the stakes aren't very high Spina, get out there, get run around a little bit, have some fun. I'm pretty sure. I'm sure that's all Mourinho was really looking for with playing him. So I think they probably played it as well as they could. Um, kind of a bummer that it took so long to get him back, but I don't, I don't think they're jeopardizing his long-term health, especially with, um, you know, how few games are left in the season. I would, I'm hoping that maybe they're angling to get him up to speed a little bit so he can play a more prominent role in the conference league final. But 
that that's all that would be a bonus um not really expecting it and if it doesn't happen i'm not going to be too upset yeah, yeah we I mean, don't know what his i'm sorry jim but real quick we don't know what his work levels are in training right now but i'd imagine even sunday or saturday rather when they play vanessa you might see another maybe 15 minutes this time and just kind of build him up you're right because he could be a weapon if that conference league final goes to extra time and he's got 20 to 30 minutes in his legs imagine having a player with his pace and his you know way to read the match and defend better than Zalewski can as a wing back with the experience and even maybe push forward a little bit, but not push it too hard. Maybe he, he could be a, a, an option late in that match. Yeah. I mean, I would just add that. I think that if anything, Roma has shown a lot of restraint with Spinazzola this season. Uh, so I would just say that the player wanted to be back ASAP. And my understanding is that basically the medical professionals at the club told them, slow your roll. We want, we don't want you to re-injure yourself, which makes sense because they just went through the same exact thing with Zaniolo where he tried to come back too quickly and re-injured him. He injured another leg, but the imbalance often plays a role in why someone tears one ACL and then the other. Um, Point being, the management of Spinatola is actually something that I'm really like satisfied with by the club this season. And I think it should be like approved of as opposed to just like, you know, I don't think that they're, they're pushing him back in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, and I think there's no one way to manage each injury. We saw it with Zaniolo the first time we thought he might have had enough time. Clearly didn't. And we'll see what happens with Spina, but hopefully it's for the best. He took 10 months. It seems like a reasonable amount of time, and hopefully he's healthy, and maybe we even see him have a little roll down the stretch. So, you know, thanks for getting those questions in. It, it, it was an exciting week as, as a Romanista, especially Thursday. Yesterday, a little less so, but to be expected after the the highs of the regional conference league final. So we have two Serie A matches left and then the, the conference league final to, to finish the season. And then of course we'll have some post season coverage on the site, but stick with us for these last couple of weeks. It'll be exciting. And uh, we thanks for listening. 